All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number one. And uh, originally was just going to carry this series for three weeks, but then the Lord just kind of dealt with me and said, how can you forget uh, the power of the Messiah? And so I want to spend just some time talking about uh, that power. And certainly that's not something that we could even really get into deeply in one message. So uh, I'm not going to try to. And so, but we are going to focus on just an aspect of the power of Christ in our lives. Uh, and all that he can be for us and in us if we'll let him. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, again familiar verses. Uh, Chapter 1 verse number 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. (coughs) Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted is God with us. And so we speak this morning about our Messiah and the power of Messiah. Um, Let's pray as we begin. Father, we come to you this morning one more time. We thank you for, uh, Lord, not just coming, but coming in power. Uh, Lord, demonstrating that power to love, to heal, to forgive, to have compassion. And Lord, things that we may not necessarily associate as being powerful, uh, but truly there's no greater power than showing compassion and kindness to those that would seek to destroy you. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to understand the deep, the depth of your love for us as best that we can in this human flesh. Lord, that we would embrace it, that we would realize that we uh, have power, your power to live by. And may we not waste it in Jesus' name and amen. You know, as we begin this morning thinking about, uh, again, this child. When you talk about the power of Messiah, looking at a one-day-old child is not something, power is not something that you'd see. You know, you you stop and you take a a little infant and they're utterly helpless. They could not survive any length of time at all on their own. There's not anything, there's no ability. They can't even hold up their own head. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot care for a need. They cannot communicate. They do not have any real understanding of anything other than I'm hungry and I'm uncomfortable. But yet, when Jesus laid there in that manger, or whether he was laying there or held in his mother's arms, he was powerful. He had the power of God because he is God. And that's something that it's hard for us maybe to, to realize. But, but the, the reality is that the Jews were looking for power. They were looking for someone to come and to break the power of Rome from off of their nation. All of their, I, I, all of their longing and all of their relation and thinking of Messiah was their king. They weren't, they were, they were missing this whole aspect of a virgin born child coming for atonement's sake, 
uh, but coming that was simply going to be a sign of his power and of his uh, of his breaking the bonds of an enemy uh, and real reliving and re elevating Israel to its to its glory uh, and to the days of its glory. <clears throat> and Jesus is going to do all of those things. The things that they were looking for are not things that are not going to come to pass. They, they weren't so far off base that they just had no real basis for what they were searching for and what they were longing for. But they were missing an important aspect. And the reason that they were missing this important aspect is because they were looking for someone to fix their temporal needs, to meet their temporal needs, to fix their, uh, their, their temporal problems. And God's always coming in first to take care of the eternal. Uh, his emphasis is on the internal. So the Messiah that they were looking for came and he's coming again. Amen. And when he comes again, he's going to deliver all of the things that they were looking for in Messiah in the first place. And the king that they have been looking for is coming and their enemies will be vanquished. And Jesus will rule from David's throne in Jerusalem. And everything that they were looking for will happen. But they failed to realize that before that could happen, the eternal had to be met. That relationship had to be restored. And they were all caught up in religion, but relationship always is more important than religion. Amen. And Jesus came to rekindle and to reinstitute a broken relationship. A relationship that was broken by man in the garden when he sinned. A relationship that broke what God created in perfection. And before Jesus would come and tend to their temporal needs, he was going to come and tend to our eternal needs. And our eternal needs for Savior, for, for God to be with us, for Jehovah to be our salvation, uh, was of utmost importance and was the primary focus of, uh, of the incarnation of Christ and why he would come and offer himself a sacrifice. So he comes first to restore relationship. Now we could spend a lot of time getting into uh, prophetic events and, and about what's going to take place when he steps out and he comes on the cloud. Uh, and it, it's not that we won't mention them, but it, it's, it's not really the focal point of the message this morning. Uh, I've never been one to get too bogged down or caught up or infatuated with the events of uh, prophecy as far as like once the church is gone, because we're part of the bride of Christ. And when all that happens, we're not going to be here. And the only real benefit is just having the Bible knowledge is knowing that I should be motivated to live looking for my Savior's imminent return. Beyond that, I mean, I understand he's coming back on a white horse and judgment's going to happen and there's going to be a, a rule and a reign. And, uh, but, but I really, there, I, need, I need truth that's going to help me live today to please God more than I need to spend a lot of time uh, investigating what's going to be going on on the earth when I'm not going to be here anyway. And so one way or the other, I don't plan on being here. I'm either going to die before he comes back and be in heaven, or I'm going to go to heaven caught up with the Lord in the air uh, when he does come. And so that renders everything after that point uh, really not that important to my way of thinking. Now, I realize there are people that get all caught up in that and they want to spend a lot of time 
uh, investing in study of that. And it's a great thing to know. I'm not, I'm not discounting it. I think we need to be knowledgeable uh, of the Bible. And I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the timelines and the things that are going to happen and the, 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 the vials, the bowls, the trumpets, all the judgments that are going to be unleashed on the earth and, uh, and uh, the, the amount of people that are going to die whenever this plague comes and that happens. I have a good understanding of that. But it's just not something that's going to help me live my life to the glory of God today, except for helping me be compassionate toward those that are without Christ. And so when we talk about the power of Messiah, the, all of those things exemplify the power of the Messiah, the, the power to step out onto that cloud and to call up his bride, the power to sit on David's throne and rule from Jerusalem. The power to crush his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon. The power to speak and to slay the thousands, if not tens and hundreds of thousands that will come against him uh, to set things in order. The power to create a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God for that power. Amen. But the power that I need today is not that power. It's the power to live a life that's pleasing to my Savior. And so when we look this morning, I want to focus more on that relationship, that ability to come to an understanding that when he, when he says here that he shall, <clears throat> she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins, that praise God this morning we can be saved from our sin. And not only are we saved from the penalty of that sin, but we can be saved from the power of that sin over us in this life if we'll let the Holy Spirit work and we'll die to self. And so when we look and consider this, Understand that Jesus comes first to restore individual relationship. Does he care about ruling from David's throne? Of course he does. He's going to fulfill every prophecy. But I'll tell you what he cares more about. He cares more about that individual soul that's lost and is on his way to hell. He cares about reconciling that which was lost to God. He cares about helping you and I to live an empowered life so that our lives will be a light shining in the darkness that impact the lives of others and that, uh, that elevate the name of Christ and that draw people to, uh, to our Savior, make them aware by our whole, holy life uh, their sin. And there's not much emphasis put on holy living today. We look a lot more like the world than we used to. And we've got all kinds of reasons why that's okay. But the bottom line is, is that when you come into the presence of holiness, the presence of holiness exposes sin. That's what happened with Isaiah. Well, pastor, none of us are holy. No, we're not. But if God is living in us and is in control of our lives and shining through us, they don't, we don't need them to see our holiness. We need them to see the holiness of Christ. And if I, am, if I reject every aspect of the holiness of God in my personal day-to-day -day life because it's inconvenient or because it doesn't fit in with the culture around me, then I am dimming the light that God would have me shining in the, in the world. God came and he came to pay and to atone for sin's penalty. And Jesus comes and he puts on human flesh and he's going to spend the next 33 plus years walking amongst men and walking in humility and meekness, living a life of a servant. He's God. By all accounts, all of creation should be falling at his feet everywhere that he goes and serving him. But everywhere that you see Jesus go, he's serving others. 
He is here to love. Why? Because he's come to atone for the sins of mankind. But not only that, he comes to break sin's power. We're going to look at some of these things this morning uh, and, and, and because that's really what he's here uh, to do at this point. Until he comes again, he came to make atonement for sin's penalty. He came to break sin's power in our lives and he comes and will come to defeat, to defeat the propagandist Satan. And the propagandist, the world. And the propagandist, my own flesh. Because my own heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Because I will convince myself that that which is ungodly and, and unpleasing to God is godly and pleasing to God because it suits my temporal desires rather than being mindful of its internal impact. Because Jesus became flesh, because Jesus endured temptation, because he served the will of his father, filled, fulfilled the scripture and its prophecy, offered himself a sacrifice for our sin, and then rose from the grave uh, on the third day, we, he, can, he can save his people from their sin. In every aspect, in every layer of that sin, where we are no longer required to make payment for something that we couldn't pay for in the first place. And we do not have to live in the bondage of that sin controlling our day-to-day -day lives and thoughts because God can control those things if we'll let him. So I'm going to look at just four thoughts and four aspects of this this morning. I'm going to try <coughs> to be brief and get us out on time or a little early this morning given that it's a Christmas weekend. And so uh, just, the, just quickly this morning, some things that I want to reiterate really that have been laid out over the last few weeks. Number one, Messiah has the power to seek the lost. Messiah has the power to seek the lost. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he says, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. He, came to, he comes to seek that which is lost. He's not just leaving them out there wandering on their own accord. He's seeking those that are seeking truth. There's something that God put in us, that spirit that died in the garden, that void that's within us. Whether a person realizes it or not, what they're trying to satisfy with work or relationships or with drugs and alcohol, what they're really longing for is the fulfilling of a void that can only be fulfilled by Christ. They don't understand, they don't know, they don't know where to search, but they're looking for something. They're looking for a good time because there's an emptiness and a void. Now, I'm not against having a good time, uh, but I, 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 I don't think I'll ever understand how going out and coming home with a splitting headache and throwing my guts up uh, because I consumed so much alcohol uh, that I can't even remember what I did the night before or who I did it with is a good time. It just that has never made any sense to me at all. Uh, I, I like to have fun. I like to have a good time. I like to enjoy life, uh, but I, I fail to see how that's enjoyable. And when we look and consider what he does for us, Messiah comes to seek out the lost. He's searching for us. In <clears throat> World War II, on October the 24th of 19, or excuse me, October the 25th of 1944, in the Philippine Sea, a battle raged between U.S. and Japanese navies. And as that battle raged, there was the destroyer, the USS Johnston, that was a relatively new vessel. It had just been launched in 1942 or 3. It had, it had been engaged in 
and at least six prior engagements before this particular day. Uh, but on this particular day, as this battle raged, uh, the Johnston was rushing back to help some escort aircraft carriers uh, that were coming under attack. Uh, and as it did, it was it was had it took several torpedoes were aimed at it and others that were with it, which all missed, and they, they avoided uh, and dodged them, and they were okay, and they were trying to get back to help uh, to help the carriers and. And as they did, uh, their luck ran out. They had sustained some damage uh, from, from other attacks, uh, but a, a shell from the main gun of a, of a Japanese battleship, uh, the, the Congo, uh, cut it and pierced its armor on the side and went through the engine room and, and destroyed its ability uh, to continue on. And it was dead in the water, a sitting duck. And the Japanese forces quickly converged on it uh, and sunk the Johnston there in the Philippine Sea, where it still lays. In 21,180 feet of water. A, a research crew sought out and decided that they were going to go and find uh, the Johnston. And there are companies that they go out and they're, they're, real, they're trying to find these old wrecks. There was just a couple of weeks ago a submarine that had been lost in World War II was, was discovered with all 80 of the men that went down still, <clears throat> still there. Their families have closure. They didn't know for sure what happened. They were just pronounced lost at sea. The Johnston, they knew what took place and they knew where about and at least they had some idea of beginning to look. My point is this, in the vastness of the ocean, this research company and recovery company did not go out and just begin to randomly search around uh, the Indian and Pacific Oceans. They did not randomly go to the vast Philippine Sea and begin to just randomly search in 20 plus thousand feet of water. They knew approximately where the Johnston was when it went down. And they acquired the information and they invested in the technology uh, to, to have an educated guess as to where about it might be. And they went out and they began to search. They were searching in the darkness. They were searching in the depth. And at this point, it is the deepest wreck that's ever been mapped and photographed uh, in history. They found it because they sought it. And they didn't find it because it was easy to find in shallow waters. They found it in some of the deepest waters. And they did it intentionally. My point is this, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he did not come to just seek those that were, that were easy to find. He is searching for you in the darkness. He is searching for the lost in the dark. And he's not randomly searching as if he has no clue where they are. He knows where they are. And he knows what their needs are. And he knows what their hurts are. And he knows what their life experiences are. And he knows how... Uh, how uh, that when the right moment is that their hearts will be open and available to hear from him. I'm just saying this morning that he has the power to seek the lost. That loved one that you want to give up on, that you don't want to pray for anymore because you feel like just keep praying because Jesus knows how to reach them. I'm not saying that there's a guarantee that they'll ever soften their heart and receive him and respond to him, but it won't be because he lacks the power to find them. Amen. He has the power. And just two thoughts about this, you know, is this, is that he seeks us in the darkness. In Matthew chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17, 
It says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from this time, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May I say this morning that he is seeking us not in the light, but in the darkness. He is the light and he brings light, but he knows that we sit in darkness. And if you are a person who's, who's uh, maybe your life has been uh, pretty good and you ha had a good family and a good home and, uh, and you were around the gospel and you had some idea of, uh, of God's love for you and you find Christ, praise the Lord that you were exposed to some light all through your life. But there are a lot of people out there that are adults that don't even have the first clue who Jesus is or why they need a Savior or what sin is or how sin has condemned them and uh, what their great need is. And they're going through life in utter darkness, cut off, isolated, without understanding that there's even a problem. And Jesus is seeking for them in that darkness. He's searching them out. The second thing that I would say is that he seeks us as we are. He doesn't wait until, uh, until we're... Uh, until we're turning over new leaves and getting cleaned up. And, uh, and we you talk about this verse a lot in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. For God commendeth his love or demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to us as we are. But in verse 15 of Romans 8 it says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For through the offense of one is many, many be dead. Uh, much more the by the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And then in verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, and, and that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigns in this world, but sin doesn't have to reign in our lives. And if we'll let the grace of God reign in our lives, not only do we have freedom from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Now listen, he's seeking us where we are. He's seeking us how we are. He, he's not going to leave us where we were and the way that we were. He's going to transform and change our life. That's what the Holy Spirit's work in our life is. That's what he does. And, and that's his ambition, his goal is to make us like Christ. But we don't have to start trying to act like Christ in our own power before he gets interested. Wherever you're sitting, however badly you're hurting, however badly you've been abused, however lonely you may be, he's looking for you. He's searching for you. And by the way, child of God, if you've drifted away from him and you've never really learned how to connect with him or how to walk with him, he's, he, though you may know he's your savior, he's searching for a deeper relationship with you this morning too. And he's longing to transform you. He is seeking you right where you are this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, well, pastor, I know that I'm saved and I, man, I've really not done anything with that salvation in my life or I'm, I've turned against God. I've not walked closely to God. I've not been faithful to God all these years. And, uh, and I, I really, God has dealt with me and spoke for me and I'm, I'm so glad that he's not given up on me. May I say to you that he's not waiting for you to get cleaned up. He's just wanting to come to you right where you are. Just like you were when you were lost, he'll come to you where you are and he'll help you. And he'll forgive you. And he'll love you. And he'll heal you. And he'll grow you into something that's honorable and precious to him. The Messiah has the power to seek the lost. Secondly, the Messiah has the power to save. Thank God we've got power for salvation. 
He said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said uh, that the Messiah is going to come and you'll call his name Jesus. You're going to call his name Jehovah is salvation. And he, you're going to call him Emmanuel because God is with you because he's coming to save. And he saves us from from the penalty of sin. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 11 it says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And praise be to God, we've received the atonement. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the atonement for you has been accepted. It's been made. It's been, uh, it's been cared for. The atonement, when Jesus went into the Holy of Holies and the temple veil was torn in two uh, and, uh, and his blood was offered in sacrifice, every sin of man was paid for. Amen. It's a shame that so many refuse to accept the gift. He saves us from sin's penalty. But he also saves us from his power in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15. The Bible tells us, Therefore ye have not received the spirit of bondage again into fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He loves us. He wants to empower us. In verse number 15, he says, For ye have, for, we cry, Abba, Father. And then in verse number 21, it says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. He tells us in chapter, in chapter 8 and verse 37, Nay, ye are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, neither depth, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has that power this morning. He has the power to seek me out of the darkness, to come to me where I was, and to begin to love me and to grow me, to set me free from the penalty of sin, and then to lift me up and to give me power for life so that I don't live under the control and the bondage and the authority of sin. Thirdly, this morning, consider that he has the power to sanctify. And this is the process of salvation and what God wants to do in our life. It is seeking us where we were and then saving our souls and then giving us his grace and power and ability to live to the point that he can then sanctify us for himself. To sanctify simply means to set apart for a specific use. Oftentimes you see as God was getting ready to move and do something great and powerful in the Old Testament, he would tell the children of Israel, tell Moses, go and tell them, sanctify yourselves today for tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. And when we sanctify and set ourselves apart for God, realizing that God wants to set us apart for his service, it's a powerful thing. Two thoughts about Messiah having the power to sanctify. First, I would say we're sanctified by the power of God. I can't sanctify myself. You can't say, I can set myself apart, but I can't change myself and make myself worthy. I can determine that I want to serve God, but I have no power on my own to make any meaningful impact for the cause of Christ. But God has power to make an impact through us. And we look and see that we're sanctified by the power of God in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are, are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, what is he saying here? He's saying, I made you new. 
I've remade you. You're not who you were. You don't have to be who you were. You are a brand new creation in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in uh, verse 11, he said, And such were some of you, as he goes and he gives a list of what their sins were at the church of Corinth before salvation. And it's not, uh, it's not just uh, people with some casual petty sin. It's the, uh, it's the unrighteous. Uh, it's those that deceived. It's the fornicators and idolaters. It's the adulterers. It's the effeminate. Uh, it's the sodomite. It's the abusers themselves of mankind, which is it's the thieves and the covetous. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. Amen. But ye are sanctified. Yes. But ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And sometimes we look at someone that comes in and the, the God's got clearly a lot of work to do on them. And we need to be mindful that it wasn't too long ago that that's the state that we came to church in. Amen. And somebody loved us and somebody cared about us and someone was patient with us and someone invested in us and someone helped develop us and, uh, and inspire us to give our hearts to God so that God could change us. We need to spend a whole lot more effort and give a whole lot more effort introducing people to Jesus than we do trying to change them and conform them to a mold. Let God work. It's the power of God. We are sanctified for the master's use. There's no one here at Victory Baptist Church that's sanctified for the pastor's use. We're sanctified for the master's use. There's far too many places where uh, we go and, uh, and the pastor and the staff just want to be served by everybody, but we're here to serve together. We're here to love and to lead uh, together, to make a difference for the cause of Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, and verse number 21 as Paul uh, is closing out and getting ready to or working with through the second letter to uh, to young Timothy uh, he says this if any if a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work listen we need to be prepared to every good work well pastor I really have any ability to do that are you getting prepared to do what you're not prepared to do right now we should be prepared to every good work. Well, I'm not a people person. Are you learning some people skills? I'm not by nature a people person. Are, are we willing to let God push us out of our comfort zone so that he can use us to make a difference in the lives of people? Listen, we're not sanctified to be comfortable. We're sanctified for the master's use. We're not sanctified to, uh, to, to be uh, to just uh, searching after and out our own agenda. We're, we're sanctified for the master's use. Would we let God use us? Would we let him change us, modify us, mold us into what he wants us to be so that he can use us for his glory? He has the power to sanctify. And then lastly, this morning, consider that he has the power to subdue. He has the power to subdue. What does he subdue? He subdues Satan's power. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And sometimes it seems the world is so overwhelming and the power of Satan is so overwhelming. And the way that, <coughs> that things unfold in life and in the world seem at times so overwhelming. But it's never going to overwhelm God. Because he's greater. And when I stop and I realize that the power of the Messiah is the power to subdue Satan. Does he have power in this world? Certainly he does. He's the God of this world. 
Does he have power to affect, to, to, uh, to be a problem in my life? Of course he does. But he doesn't have more power than my God does. And he cannot win the victory unless I let him. How do I let him? Why would anybody ever let him? Well, we don't just set out to let him, but we let him whenever we deny Christ. We let him whenever we seek out that which is temporal and put more priority over that than the eternal. We let him whenever we search and seek out our own agenda and lay aside the agenda of God in our life. When we stop and realize that God has given us the ability to have victory over the power of Satan in this world and in our flesh. It's a liberating truth. That though the world seems strong and the God of this world seems strong, he's not stronger than Jesus. Amen. He subdues sin's power. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 14. <clears throat> the Bible tells us this, as Paul wrote here the church at Rome. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. We're not supposed to be subdued by sin. We're supposed to subdue sin. We should be taking every thought captive in the power of God. We should be yielded to him and living in his power and his grace. Why? Because that's what he's made available to us, his grace, his empowerment, his ability to love and to lead and to guide us, to develop us and to grow us, to use us, to say, take something that was filthy and to make it clean, to take something that's broken and to fix it, to take something that was, uh, that was unwanted by, uh, by and unusable and to make it wanted and lovely and usable. That could be your life. That perhaps is your life. Rejoice and praise God that we do not have to go through life in our own power and by our own ability, but in the power of Messiah. He loves us this morning. And I would just say as we close this morning, that the power of the Messiah empowers the life of a believer. There's so often people will come and they'll say, Pastor, I just can't get past this. I can't get over it. And, and, and it, it's really easy, but it's really hard. Some people can't understand it. Some people have never experienced it in a way that they begin to process and understand it. But the concept and the principle is easy. When I yield myself to the Lord and I become obedient to him and I put his will first there is a supernatural act within my heart in which the Holy Spirit is powers unleashed and he takes control and in that power my thoughts come under control in that power my actions come under control and that power, and we use terminology like this in the church, and if you've been saved a long time, you've understand it, but if you're new, quite honestly, you probably don't. And those of us that have been saved and in church for a long time really need to be patient with those because we take for granted that everybody understands the terminology that we've been spewing out for 20 plus years in our lives. And they're new and they don't get it because they haven't been taught. And because we think everybody should know this so we don't take the time to teach it. Or pastors think uh, everybody's already got this or I'm going to bore half the crowd while I'm addressing the needs of the other. Listen, the mature Christians need to be patient so the youngers can be, can be taught and brought along. And the young uh, need to be trying to absorb everything that they can so that they're prepared to teach it to other people that are coming in behind them. And the reality is just simply this, is that when I yield myself to God and I get him first place and preeminence in my life, and the Holy Spirit takes control 
And I'm no longer calling the shots, but he is. I died to self. Did I, am I, am I literally dead? Not my outer man, but my will, my ambition is dead in the sense that it is put in the back and what God wants is brought to the front. And when that happens and the spirit takes control, God can do very great things in your life and it's liberating. We don't like it because we like to be in control. But nobody that lives that way is in control for long. Because if you live that way, thinking that you're in control, your heart will deceive you and tell you that you're in control. But the reality is, is that your flesh and the world and the devil and the culture is in control. Sin is in control. And sin will ultimately destroy. But when I take my hands off, when I let God be in control, it's amazing how God gives me all of those other things back in time. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he's compassionate towards you. Why? Because most of the desires that we have that are deep-seated desires like that are things that God put within us in the first place so that he could use them for his glory. But he can never really use them until we yield ourselves to him and let him be the one that's in control. The Messiah had the power to come and find you in the darkness. The Messiah has the power to fix everything that's broken in your life. If you have a broken heart this morning, he can fix it. You have a grieving heart this morning, he can comfort it. You have a longing heart this morning, he can fulfill it. He has that power. He has the power to save. He has the power to seek. He has the power to change. He has the power to grow. He has the power to use you to bring great honor and glory to his Father in heaven. If we'll but yield to that power. It's not my power, it's his power. The Messiah... What a wonderful, wonderful truth that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of heaven has come. But if you don't let him employ his power in your life beyond salvation, his power is being wasted and he wants to use it dearly. Would you let him this morning?